Show Me The Science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Hello, Luke O'Neill here again with my Show Me The Science podcast. Now, this one is all about something very fundamental that we all do. And as you listen to me, I bet you're doing it. I'm talking about breathing, something very simple. Then we all have to breathe to stay alive. We all breathe in, we breathe out. But this is actually about can you control your breathing? And then if you control it, does it make you feel better? Now, for millennia, you know, obviously things like yoga and all sorts, they've been advising that we control our breathing in various ways. And that's what this is about. But the reason why I'm telling you is there's a scientific basis to this. And a study came out uh, last week, actually, in a very eminent journal and as you know if you listen to me regularly I look to where these things are published um, if it's eminent it could be true uh, this journal systematically analysed different types of breathing and then measured the beneficial or not effects of these different approaches and came to a bottom line and the bottom line seems to me anyway to be scientifically sound now you've got to keep listening and breathing I'm going to tell you uh, what the key thing they found was before I do that though let me give you a little bit about breathing so as, as everybody knows by now why do we breathe we bring in oxygen and oxygen in the air into our lungs, into our blood. All the cells in our body need oxygen. The reason is they use the oxygen to burn the nutrients, things like glucose and fats, and there's no oxygen. You can't burn them fully. And we burn them to generate energy, and that energy is used then for our muscles and our heart and our brain and all that kind of thing. This is very fundamental biochemistry, I guess. It's called respiration. So we need oxygen to help us burn stuff. Uh, Like when a candle burns, that's using oxygen as well. And it's no different. Oxygen is used in the same way to burn these nutrients. Now, you breathe in the oxygen but the trouble is there's a byproduct from all that burning the fumes if you will and that's carbon dioxide a different type of gas you got to get rid of that because that builds up that can be very toxic to our tissues so we breathe out and we release the carbon dioxide and that goes on all the time uh, on average uh, most people breathe 15 times a minute is the average amount of breathing now when you exercise of course you breathe faster to bring in more oxygen because your muscles need that you know and it makes sense in a way that's what the, the breath will go up as you take exercise to help generate more energy, I guess, is the idea. So so we can increase our our oxygen consumption with exercise. But then the strange thing is, this is going on and you don't even know it. You're breathing in and out all the time. The strange thing is we can decide not to breathe. You can hold your breath or you can take a deeper breath. And this is what this is actually all about, uh, in a sense that if you do that in a systematic way, will it be beneficial? And as I say, the ancients have known this and yogic calmness and yogic breathing, yoga practice, different types of breathing, very important to be aware of that. And one thing that's well known is if you breathe in a very measured way, you can decrease your heart rate and you can calm down and your blood pressure can fall as well. And so, for example, if you switch from 15 breaths per minute to six. So try and deep, deeper breaths. That's calming, that's been known for a long time. It's also been known that breathing through your nose is the way to go. And and, and we kind of know this as well, I guess everyone would know this. And what is very nice here is, now I'm looking for really good um, scientific facts to back up this sort of thing. So if you're breathing through your nose, Um, Imaging studies of your brain show the amygdala and the hippocampus, two specific parts of your brain, they change in terms of their activity. Now, this turns out to be very important because the amygdala is one of these ancient parts of the brain. When you feel anxious and aggressive and you want to fight, I guess, the amygdala fires, you know. So obviously breathing through your nose calms the amygdala down. The hippocampus is also being, being calmed, I guess, and that seems to decrease anxiety. So the advice always is try to breathe in through your nose and you can breathe out through your mouth because you're breathing out the carbon dioxide that's been, that's been well known as well in fact while I'm at it I read a really good book last year called Breathe all about the science of breathing uh, so it's a, it's a common topic at the moment for scientists to study the other thing to say is um, asthmatics will know this that if you have asthma 
uh, you need bronchodilators sometimes when you're having an asthma attack to loosen up your lungs. Uh, controlled breathing and asthmatics can be very beneficial because uh, obviously it helps the situation as well. And then the last thing to tell you, in my opinion, some of the scientific basis before I get to the big scientific study, they've looked at mice. Now, as you know, we often use animals to study various things in, in the wild and so on. And, and then in the lab, sadly, we use mice sometimes for experiments. But this one was no, no mice were harmed, but they could, they could measure breathing in mice in various ways. And lo and behold, deep breathing in mice was calming for them as well. So it's a common thing for any, any animal that breathes, really. And a part of the brain called the locus coriolis lit up in the mice when they were having controlled breathing. How they managed to do this, I don't know. I tried to find out how to get a mouse to breathe more slowly, but, but still they managed to get the controlling into the breathing in the mice and then confirm this. And that, that's an important thing scientifically in a way. So in other words, if I do a study of humans breathing and ask them how they feel, that's all very well, and I might come to some kind of conclusion. But if I can do things in, a, in an experimental model system and get consistent results, then, then you're getting much more robust data, I guess, and the mouse model of breathing then was very useful. Uh, the other thing they've, they showed in the mice, which is the same in humans, there's a very important nerve in your body, which I've never mentioned before, I think, of all the things I have mentioned. I've never mentioned the vagus nerve, V-A-G-U-S, not Las Vegas, it's spelled differently, but, but the vagus nerve is a very important nerve in your body. It comes out of your brain, the brain stem in particular, the ancient part of your brain, divides in two, goes down either side of your chest and into your abdomen. And the vagus nerve has all kinds of properties. And, for example, it controls digestion is one thing it does, right? But we know that if you, if you get the vagus nerve going in a certain way, it has a very calming effect as well. It's called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's interesting. And it turns out, as, as I'm going to tell you in a minute, the, these breathing things control the vagus nerve. Now, it's nice that because you can measure it and you can show it changing in response to breathing. One last bit about the vagus nerve. While I'm at it is if you can get your vagus nerve going in the right way, it can be anti-inflammatory. Now, this, this this is my area, my specific research area, and studies have shown if you stimulate the vagus nerve with electrodes, it can suppress inflammation in things like rheumatoid arthritis, for example. So that nerve re is really important. It's involved in all kinds of things. Get it going in the right way, and it'll have an anti-inflammatory effect. There's various ideas uh, why that is. Any neurophysiologist listening in, let's hope you're out there somewhere, would have heard of acetylcholine. That gets released by the vagus nerve, and that seems to have effects on macrophages, which are part of the inflammatory process. So again, very robust science around the vagus nerve. But, but for today's topic, it seems to be also tied into this calming influence. Now, let's get to the study for crying out loud. If you're still listening and you're breathing now and you're going, why isn't he telling me this? I hope you're not hypermentizing. Four things were compared. Okay, in this study, uh, uh, over 100 people were analyzed. And the four things were as follows. First of all, mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is well known these days. Uh, mindfulness, one aspect of that is if you just are aware of your breathing. In other words, you focus on your breath. That's what that's part of mindfulness. And that seems to have a calming effect. So you aren't, you aren't trying to change your breathing. You're just focusing on it. They had a group that practiced mindfulness. The second group had a thing called cyclic sighing. Now, there's a strange phrase. What is cyclic sighing? It's taking in a somewhat short breath and then exhaling for longer. <sighs> and what they actually did was they took in two short breaths to make it complicated. One very short and one slightly longer breath but they exhaled for longer. That was the key thing. So let's say you have a second in, two seconds in a bit more and out for three or four. It's like a sigh, you know, strangely enough we call this sighing. And you repeatedly for five minutes, right? So one group were doing this cyclic sighing in, out for longer. That was one group. The second group, uh, or the third group, because mindfulness was the first group, cyclic sighing was the second. The next group are doing box breathing. Now what is box breathing? That's in, out, 
in, out for the same length of time. It's called box breathing because you can draw arrows, you know, in, out, in, out, in the shape of a box. So that was the second group. And the third group were caught doing a thing called hyperventilation and retention, a deep inhale and a rapid exhale. So it's kind of like hyperventilating. That was the fourth group. Now that one sounds a bit unusual. And when I, when I kind of dug into it, when you're having a panic attack, which, which sadly many people suffer from panic attacks, they're hyperventilating. And, and of course what's happening in that situation is carbon dioxide is building up. That's not what this is. This is controlling it. Because obviously when you're, when you're in that situation, it's, it's uncontrolled. But paradoxically, I guess in a way, if you do it in a controlled way, this has been reported to have beneficial effects. Now, it turns out all of this probably is about carbon dioxide. If you can retain a bit of carbon dioxide in your body before you expel it, that seems to have a calming effect is the idea. Now, high carbon dioxide in a panic attack is a bad thing because it causes dizziness, your heart rate goes up, you get very anxious and stressed and, and that's the essence of a panic attack, you know. So you don't want it to go too high. It seems as if these breathing techniques are causing sort of a transient increase in carbon dioxide and that somehow has a calming effect on the body. That seems to be part of the mechanism. And in fact, the carbon dioxide connection to the vagus nerve is there as well. So they ran this study over several weeks with these four groups and they did an analysis. And they measured a kind of calmness and mood was measured during this process. And they also measured heart rate and blood pressure and various things like that. And of the four, the thing that worked the best was the cyclic sign that showed a statistically significant beneficial effect. Now it turns out all four of them bring benefits obviously and we know this anyway but cyclic sighing seemed to be the one that gave the biggest effect now remember five minutes the, the important thing here is you got to do it for five minutes every day you can't do it for a minute that doesn't work so five minutes every day and as time went on the people in the cyclic sighing group reported more and more benefits so it seemed to be they seemed to be adapting the system seemed to really like it as they went on, the whole thing was enhanced. Uh, this calming effect seemed to be then really triggered the longer you did it for, you know. And overall, uh, what they're recommending is that we should all do this. Now, now what they're saying is every morning, maybe, when you're lying in bed, do a bit of cyclic sighing for five minutes. And if you do it every day, you'll see these beneficial effects. Now, obviously, life can get in the way, can't it? And affect your mood and affect various things. So it's more to do with, I guess, your overall state as the weeks go by, I suppose. But certainly the effect on blood pressure and on heart rate seem to be somewhat sustained and that's very good for you because high blood pressure is a huge negative um, and obviously stress is a big negative in general anyway. So this cyclic sign then seemed to bring these benefits. And, and when I dug into it a bit more, I liked it because they did show proper changes happening here. There was real physical measurements going on which showed that this was having an effect. It wasn't just someone saying they feel better. They could show physical effects in your body. So that, I've started doing it amazingly myself. I haven't read the paper. And I'm thinking, look, when I'm doing it, I'm thinking there's something happening inside my brain. There's something happening to my vagus nerve as I do this, you see. And then these events that are happening to those parts of my body are beneficial. So, so there is something real happening inside your body when you practice this. But any of them were beneficial, by the way. And if anybody's listening who does yogic breathing, that's fine as well keep doing it you know but if you want to pick one cyclic sighing seemed to be the thing to do and again it's it's strange enough because as i said already we breathe naturally don't we it's automatic and it's part of the autonomic nervous system as we call this you know but now we can intervene and change that and then we see these these effects and i guess the other thing i'd say is uh, the ancients became aware of this themselves you didn't need to know about the vagus nerve of the brain two thousand years ago did you whenever it was yeah the, the buddhists became aware of this just by observing i suppose that these were ben these things were beneficial and now science is confirming the beneficial effects of that so there you have it if you're still breathing and still listening to me maybe when you listen to my podcast you could practice cyclic sighing how about that as you 
you listen, you'll get even more benefits then, you never know. So cyclic sighing is the way forward. It's, it's a thing I would recommend for everybody to try and do. And you can look up this paper. It's if I just if you search for cyclic sighing, you'll see you'll read more about this. It was in the in the media of it as well. So, so if you need more advice, just look at do a bit of Googling, you'll find it. Cyclic sighing is the way forward to keep us all in a better mood, keep us all calmer. That's my advice for this week's podcast. Scientifically backed. And as you all know by now, I like to see good science behind things. And I think anyway, there's reasonable science behind this, this whole thing. So thanks for listening as ever. And of course, my podcast is available for download every Thursday. And it's a News Talk production. Cheerio.